Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Into a seventh minute of added time we go. Spurs might think they can win it now. It's played through for Bird Fine again. Who's in and might be able to win it? Round Michael and in! This is incredible! Well, hello and welcome, everybody, to a joyous version, thank God, of the view from the lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, and because church bells are ringing out across the land and every village is festooned with bunting, I'm joined today by the full firm. Jack Pitbrook, Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore are here. Uh, Jack, we'll start with you as you were privileged enough to be in the King Power Stadium for the game last night, at the end of which, probably in a handbrake turn from what you were getting ready to write, you described it as a mini Ajax. Yeah, it was a little bit like Ajax. You know, nothing will ever be Ajax. You know, that is a a unique moment in Tottenham's history and I think in football history. But it did feel a little bit like it, you know, that just the, not just the scoreline, but the l- unbelievable lateness of it, the sort of implausibility of it, that sense of you you kind of sat, sat there in the press box seeing all of the Spurs players tearing towards the away end. The whole, I mean, it's different from Ajax because in Ajax, the away fans were high up, I think. Whereas here, obviously, they're, they're kind of, it's a single tier stadium and they're right in the corner. Seeing all the away fans come down towards them. And, you just sat, and you're sat there thinking, how on earth has that happened? I have no idea how that's happened. What an amazing thing to happen. And so it's, uh, yeah, mini Ajax is the, is the word that immediately sprung to mind watching it. And look, there's tons of other stuff we can get into about the performance overall, which I thought was really good. Lots of individuals were good. It was a great the game. The manager was yeah. good. Even The manager was great. Even if I had, you know, I have a bit of an emotional investment in Tottenham winning, but even if I was a pure neutral, I would say it was an incredible game. Like, I, mean, I thought it was a brilliant game, even at 2-1, even if the wrong team was going to win at that point. But the ending was just incredible. Like, it, it, it kind of blew the heads off everyone there. And I, I'm sure that everyone who was there or who watched it on TV will remember it for an awfully long time. Let me just get uh, go round and, and see how you all reacted emotionally and physically. And some of you, of course, will have had to change your copy. I'll start with you. Of course, I'll start with you, James. What was your response? Uh, I had to genuinely apologise to my neighbours, genuinely. Ah! <laughs> so I went out of the front door after the game just to get a little bit of fresh air and clear my head. And the, the guy next door was just coming out of his flat with like a very confused look on his face. Because as much, you know, as much jubilation as there was after 97 minutes of the game, there were a lot of uh, expletives being uttered in my flat in the kind of hour and a half before that. So, Is your neighbour a football fan? I don't think so, no. Oh, so he wouldn't have got think, it then? I think he would have... Pro- I mean, he may have realised what was going on, but yes. uh, yeah, he's, he's certainly very confused when I walked out of the front door with a massive grin on my face like <laughs> after an hour and a half of abusing people. Yeah, what, what about you, Charlie? What, what, did you, what did you make of the ending there? Well, it was weird. What, yeah, mixed... Because I was sort of... I had a positive COVID test, so I wasn't there. And obviously a part of you was like, oh, that looks amazing. Um, Are you okay? Yeah, 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 completely 
asymptomatic good, good. and it's about to end thankfully so sa- salvation is on its way but yeah so haven't had a bad at all nothing um but yeah no one cares about that yeah i mean i was uh, readying my, my i had a tweet drafted and this just shows how sort of mad football is had this tweet drafted saying you know first defeat of the conte uh in the premier league of the conte era and actually he's only got two more points from his first nine games than Mourinho did and he's had you know a fairly gentle fixture list so you know the challenges ahead and then obviously it just completely flipped I mean I literally was writing that as uh Hoybier <laughs> picks up the ball to float that pass to Matt Doherty and it just completely flips and now you know, and I think last week I was trying to give the positive saying that it is about these matches will decide their season, not Chelsea. And I think that was borne out because I was really encouraged. They looked so much better than Leicester. And it was a, it's a weird game, really, because the point they got to was torturous and circuitous. And they were only ahead for literally, what, three seconds of the game. But they were on top of it for so much of it. And, like, the chances they created, I thought they actually should have won that game pretty comfortably on the balance of play but yeah just just amazing and you know you you do wonder what that does for the team going forward you know how how big that is for them because it felt like a massive massive moment are we saying there are kind of villa park 2014 vibes about that that's the the harry kane yeah free kick that we kind of talked about a few times before as being like the one that spurred the c9 revolution it kind of feels like it could be a bit like that i know i said this about the liverpool game i think as well but this is probably a better example of that. It's just yeah. going to give the players such a lift. And it is a bit of a shame to have Chelsea on Sunday. And I mean, I know Chelsea are in pretty bad nick actually at the moment. And maybe we'll be almost as worried about playing Spurs, although not have the last two games or anything to go by. On this morning, I've got to say, James, that is, that's too Spurs fan to start worrying about the fact that <laughs> the fixture list doesn't look right for you. We've got to play Chelsea twice a year. You have to suck that up to some well, four extent. Or three times in a month. Uh, of course, yes. I mean, the... Uh, it was it was so so exciting, and again, like you, I've got a a little notebook where I keep you know occasional notes about what's going on in the football match. So, so to jog my memory when we do these podcasts, and I I had I wasn't miserable last night when they were two one down. They had played so well. I thought sometimes this you know this is why the game of football is important. It's not an exhibition; it's a contest, and the lesser team has somehow contrived to win this game. Take the positives out of the way Spurs played. For them to play that well and then get an equaliser, which I was really delighted about, was one thing. To go on and win the game, as Jack was saying, so deep into the game, because I think that is by far the latest a team has been behind and gone on to win a game. That will probably never be beaten. I can't imagine circumstances where that will happen again. I think it's in the top six most expected goals an away team has had in the entire history of the Premier League. They played so well. They had, they're the away team who are not a great team. They had 27 shots at goal. Now, one or two of them, of course, were Harry Kane attempting to hit the Melton Mowbray Port Pie factories some way distant from, from Leicester. No, they had plenty of massive chances. I mean, even before Leicester went ahead, they had four really oh, big Kane chances. Oh, Kane could have had six yeah. goals yeah. on a decent I mean, night, was... couldn't he? He's useless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I, have said, I thought he, uh, he played so well. That, the, he the was assist, magnificent. The goal, just so I thought good. that was the best. I mean, I definitely said, we definitely said this before, but I do think that was the fittest overall Kane performance I can remember in ages. You know, he had the one cleared off the line. He had the header against the bar. He had the one where he ran in behind and skied it, where you would expect him most more often than not to hit 
to hit the target. He also like win like jumping to win that header in 95 minutes. You know, one thing that I know that people have pointed to with Kane a little bit in the last few years is that when he's not on top of his game, he doesn't really compete and win for headers in the same way. And then that incredible pass that that bisected Vestergaard and Soyuncu, I think it was. And was weighted so Schmeichel couldn't come out. It was just perfect. And like, there's no one, there's no, there's hardly anyone else in the, not even just at Tottenham, but in the league who can play that pass. No, I mean, when when they were, when they were picking the man of the match on TV, and you you may not. It was James Madison. It was James Madison. (laughs) And I'm just thinking, he wasn't even Leicester's best player. Their goalkeeper was by far their best player, but the best player on the pitch by a million miles, and I, I am prone to hyperbole, I know that, was Harry Kane. He is a fantastic footballer. Whatever about England captain, the shenanigans in the summer, if you just take your whatever coloured blinkers you're wearing off and watch him play like last night, he was just fantastic. And that's why I don't worry too much about his... I mean, he's obviously in a bit of a finishing slump relative to his normal standards. You know, we saw that in the Liverpool game in December, for example, he had lots of chances, didn't really convert enough of them. But the, you, it's so important that he's getting back in those positions again. He's getting shots away. He's been in a huge shot slump over the last year or two. Everyone knows this. But not only is he looking fitter and sharper than ever, he is contributing in terms of like uh, passing and assists and is getting in shooting positions. So when his, shooting retu- when his finishing returns, as I'm sure it will, because why wouldn't it? I do think we're kind of Kane is certainly heading in the right direction again. I, I thought he was rubbish in the second half, uh, up to injury time. Like he was, I mean, he was fantastic in the first half. Genuinely, in the second half, I thought he was really bad. Did no one else think that? I, I wonder if you're sort of rewriting history a little bit because you know he was, you know, good involvement in both goals and that pass for the second or well, the third goal. Sorry, was incredible. And Jack is right; there are very few players in the Premier League that can play that ball. But between forty-five and ninety-four. Uh, all he was kind of doing was shooting from 35 yards when he could have played other players in. I don't I, know. I, I found that incredibly frustrating. I didn't get that impression. There, there were a few where he linked up pretty well down the right. He was feeding in Doherty and this sort of thing. Also, there was a moment, I think it may have been the first half, just on the is he making an effort point, where he charged back and made a really important tackle because he did that in the North London derby and got really unlucky. And this one, he didn't. And it was actually actually really important for the team. And even before yesterday, I was seeing, I think he was aver- he's averaging four, before yesterday, and it'll be even higher now, he's averaging four shots a game under Conte in the league. And that's really encouraging, given that, as Jack mentioned, his numbers were way, way down before. He just wasn't getting the shots away. You know, he wasn't even getting the chances. And that's why, like yesterday, for that one that he skied, yeah, you'd, you'd obviously expect and want him to score. But the way he just breezed past the Leicester defenders was really encouraging because there'd been games early on, even in the, early on in the Conte era, where he really looked off it. Defenders just, you know, he just couldn't beat defenders. Yeah, I would say his, his movement in the first half, particularly, like you say, the two times he went through, I, I would say like he glided up the pitch and between defenders or past defenders in a way more impressive way than he, even probably under Mourinho, I think. Mm. Like, like that we've seen probably since like pre-European Cup that, final, maybe? That run in behind that he made onto Winks' pass for the first goal, that's exactly what you want Kane to do. For me, that's always... Whether or not Kane is running in behind is kind of a barometer a bit of his fitness and sharpness. Because if he's not on top of his game, it's always easier for him to come deep and get on the ball and play passes. But if he is really fit and sharp, he still does have the capacity to make that run. And that's something he's not, if we're honest, he's not really done that much. I mean, he didn't really do it that much under Mourinho and he barely did it at all under Nuno. So for him to score that goal, which, you know, as a lot of people know, was a 
pretty similar to the goal that he should have scored away yeah, to Hampton, the Winks that, assist was unf- again. that was unfairly VAR'd, and like that was also set up by Harry Winks. The fact that Kane could score that goal, and for it not to get disallowed by VAR, as everyone was expecting it to, does, you know, is certainly a positive sign. Just for the interest of balance, because there'll be people shouting, he won't play against a defence that play a high line and have as slow defenders every week. I mean, it, <laughs> that's true. Crap, man. It, it, it reminded me of Southampton 5-2 at St Mary's last year, where they did a similar thing and it was, and on that day they had Son so they they really exploited it but it did seem it was bizarre yeah. from Leicester Soyuncu Vestergaard and Hamza Chowdhury so yeah yeah oh well I know I know the, the just two things I'm still relatively new to the view from the lane um, I'm learning about you I've just written down here never worked for James Moore cannot be satisfied those are the words I've written high, down high standards yeah the other thing is Kane is a uh, He's a funny one, isn't he? There, you could probably all name one footballer you know who is not a particularly fast runner, but but moves faster with the ball at their feet than they do in normal running. Eden Hazard, when he's fully fit, is quicker with the ball at his feet mm. than he is just running. Harry Kane, once he if he's properly fit and enjoying his his football, he moves quicker when he's got the ball at his feet. Some of that's upper body strength, you know, when people can't get close enough to make the tackle. I thought there were times last night. He was doing that. And to finish this bit about the mood of Harry Kane, about which we talked a lot, of course, his post-match interview where he's grinning from ear to ear. We haven't seen that for, for well, for six months at least. So like running that, to the fans at the end of the game as well. It kind of feels, yeah. I, I don't know, it's easy to read too much into that sort of stuff, but that does it feel is, quite yeah. significant, doesn't it? That like, and he like posted like a happy picture on Instagram that I don't think he's done too many times this season. Why wasn't Bailgrind sent off? He'd already been booked and then he <laughs> ran into the crowd. Now who's being negative? Yeah. Oh no, I'm just, I, I just want the referees to be consistent. Yeah, you know, you know all we asked for. Get that VAR. But, and also Hugo Loris was in the crowd. I mean, he was, he'd have to run 115 yards to get into the crowd. That was lovely, wasn't it? Lucas taking that bloke's hat off. Yeah. That Can we just talk a little bit about uh, Soyuncu's shithousing before the <laughs> yeah, second Yeah, yeah, that was... Oh, like, go I mean, on then, I, do it. I mean, I'm sure people would say, oh, Leicester <laughs> fans are probably Arsenal fans, would say Bergvine went down quite easily under that challenge. Was that from Chowdhury? Yeah, Where yeah, he kind of, Chowdhry, I think yeah. it was actually just outside. I mean, then... Um, You've seen them given to use the cliche, uh, but that was just yeah, but not by good referees. I haven't, <laughs> well, possibly not. But yeah, there was obviously that like sort of coming together and a bit of a, a fracas, and that that like the time added for that is when uh, Bergwijn scored the third goal, right? Yeah, you mean when Bergwijn pushed him in the chest and he held his face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The time that was added on because of that, and also if you look back at the three goals, I believe Sunchi was on his ass for all three when they went in the back of the net. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Should say as well, made the point on Twitter, like how Hoybier was sort of well, two people I want to mention. Hoybier was one who made a really important tackle to deny Barnes, yeah. which could well have got him made it three one. That's game over. Then he plays a really good pass to Doherty for the equaliser, and then he plays the pass to Kane uh, for the third goal. And it was interesting just because when he got uh, when Winks got taken off, there was a lot of people on my Twitter timeline saying, "How is Hoybier still on the pitch? Why is it that he?" Uh, doesn't get taken off. And, and I think a lot of people have felt that. And, and I had sympathy with that view at that point because I thought Winks was playing pretty well. But fair play to him because he did then step up. And the other guy was Doherty, who actually playing yeah. in his proper position for one of the only times since he's been at the club, looked way better. And I think it showed to me why Spurs are so desperate to get an attacking right wing back. 
because the threat they had, the fact that they had a threat off each flank, you know, that sound is hardly revolutionary, but it made a massive difference. And Doherty... It looks so much better with that shape. So much better. And like the sort of symmetrical nature of it just meant that there were just so many more options at any point. Yeah. Whenever they had the ball, there were like runners either side. I think that was Doherty's best performance for Tottenham. Uh, in terms of like the number of times he was getting in the box, he was getting like not very good shots away. He was just, he was just getting, he was like driving into the box and basically causing havoc, which is basically what happened with the second goal. You know, they got a bit lucky on the second they goal. They did, but that was, really was his game. That from, was his game. It was Wolves. a really good ball from Hoiberg. And then obviously Doherty chests it down quite well. Then Soyuncu but tries to get it away and just falls over and it falls to Bergwijn. But it was really good to see Doherty because he, you know, it's been pretty, he's had a pretty tough time. It's easy to retro-engineer the team after you get a famous and fantastic victory like that. But someone explained to me, you're, you're, you've all got PhDs in football, how the midfield three of Hoiberg, Skip and Winks, which had looked, say, a Crystal Palace so dreadful, yeah. there fires a team to, well, statistically one of the best away performances by any team in the Premier League this season. How did that happen? It was one shot on target at Palace, I think. One of the worst, one of one of the worst performances, I think. Tottenham. Oh yeah, 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 it was. I mean, the worst, definitely yeah. the worst of the season. And yet, yesterday, yeah. well, I mean, I guess what made it work is that in the last two games when Tottenham have played a sort of three-five-two, they've had two guys at the base and then Lacelso pushed forward as a ten. Whereas yesterday, the the triangle was inverted. So Winks was playing in front of the defence, and then Hoiberg and Skip either side of him were pushed on. And that meant they they really made the most of Hoiberg and Skip's pressing. I thought they both pressed really, really well, which really helped Tottenham get a foothold in the game. It meant that they were also better at building up from the back, which is something which they've not really been that good at recently. So Winks was able to get the ball off the defence, play passes. Obviously, it was Winks's pass through to Kane, which set up the first goal. And there were moments in that first half when Tottenham were trying to establish themselves where they would disrupt Leicester by Winks dropping all the way back into the defence and then Tanganga, who's the right side of centre-back, pushing all the way out into a kind of orthodox right-back position, which in turn allowed Emerson Royale to go really, really high up as a kind of right-winger. So it would almost, the formation would almost kind of flip into a, almost a sort of 4-4-2 type thing. So it was really, you know, it, it it worked really well. You know, there were so many people, including me, beforehand on Twitter, griping about the midfield and thinking it would be rubbish. But in fact, it worked perfectly. Another person we, who needs a lot of praise here is, is the manager, because whatever about the early selection, the halftime change of Emerson Royale off and Matt Doherty on, and, and that, of course, in the teeth of the fact that he is currently the player at least liked by the Spurs fans, Matt, I thought that was A, courageous, and B, as it turned out, a, a brilliant piece of insight into the way, perhaps into the, actually into the way that, uh, that, that Emerson Royal wasn't playing rather than the way that uh, Matt Doherty came on and played. But it does, I wouldn't have done it at half time, but that's why he's on the big bucks, I guess. Maybe you two are wrong to call for his head last week and call him a fraud. Well, let's wait and see. Um, I do think as well. I bet you we're in, sometime in the next 15 years, I bet you he gets the sack at Spurs. <laughs> can I can yeah. I just predict now? Because I said this, I said to someone the other day, Thomas Tuchel will be the Tottenham man. It will become Tottenham manager in twenty twenty four. Well, we all Chelsea managers they, yeah, exactly. they always get a chance, don't exactly. they? They always get a chance. But ba- uh, but basically, that for that three to work as well, I do. Th- you know, Liverpool have shut. You know, Liverpool were the best team in Europe won the Premier League with a, with a central midfield three of Fabinho, Vinaldum, and Henderson, none of which you'd call especially creative. They did it, obviously, because their width came from the flanks. They did also have a world-class front three. But I think if you are to play with a central midfield trio 
like Spurs did yesterday, you do for that to really work, like it did, you know, in the second half especially. I think you do need to have threat from the flanks. And I thought Regulon coming back was massive. Like he, I know he's not to everyone's taste, but the difference it makes having him compared to Doherty playing as like an inverted wing back. I mean, one of the things that is so baffling was the other week when Conte played Doherty left wing back and Sessignon right wing back. So had two inverted wing backs. But maybe he's just experimenting because yesterday the difference, especially when Doherty came on in the second half, and 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 that is what he did at Wolves. He was this weird like goal poaching wing back. You know, we 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 think of wing backs, you know, creatively as getting forward, putting in lots of low crosses and that sort of thing. His game was sort of being a goal poacher and kind of like he was yesterday. He almost he almost scored. I think it would have been disallowed for offside. Having made a very similar run to the one he then made for the one that led to Bergvine's equaliser, he's an agent of chaos. He is. Yeah, chaos he really is. is. You just got to get him, get him on the ball, get him into the box, get him just he, putting the ball in, get him running onto the end of things, and people don't know what to, people don't know what's going to happen next. He cuts inside on his wrong foot and heads for the penalty spot. It's a very odd thing for defenses to deal with if he can do it. Well, he scored that. He scored a cut. Like he scored that one against City. I think a last minute winner when they were two 0 down and one three two. Wasn't that him, Jack? Where he and he played a one two and scored. And then there was yeah. that one against Palace, where uh, Palace away for Wolves, where he played a one two and scored. And he did one with Kane, where he played it. And you saw just yeah, it was head down, charging into the box. And it is, it is quite hard to deal with. He needs to believe in what he's doing, doesn't he? Everything that he does, you could do from the right side of midfield. The Republic of Ireland, because they've got Coleman as well, have tried him recently playing just as a, a as a right-sided midfielder. He was baffled by the whole thing. Well, but, but it is interesting because last year I asked him soon after he joined and he was playing as a right-back. I said, you know, how, you know, how different is it? And he, I think he was... It almost sometimes it almost felt like he was quite pleased to be asked the question, so he could explain it's very very different. And I think people do kind of assume right back, right wing back are kind of interchangeable. Often because people are doing it the other way, they're going from being a right back to then playing as a wing back, and it's quite liberating. They're like, oh, this is great, I can get forward more. Doing it the other way, then having to learn that you you know one of the most important things for you is where's my position relative to my centre back? What's our line to play offside? Things that as a right wing back you don't really have to worry about so much. And I think it has affected him. It's been hard for him. And, and maybe we have slightly underestimated that. The three, three in midfield, I think it was the first time, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that seeing Skip use his, his transformed physicality. I thought his the closing down was fantastic, but also one or two of the runs he made. Now, admittedly, Leicester's defenders are slow enough to make your runs look pretty good. Another one who had Kane give or take... James is allowed, but not taken seriously. Criticism. Um, <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was Kane's best game of the season. I thought it was Skip's best game of the season. It was Doherty's best game of the season. What a lovely, lovely thing. Anyone want to talk about Skip for a while? Because he's been floating in and out of the team just now, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, I mean, his pressing was absolutely essential to how, how Tottenham got a foothold in the game on the right of that front three at the start. Uh, I thought he was fantastic. I just want, I mean, th- th- this might be nonsense, but th- does he remind anyone of James Milner at all? He's got oh, he's that scared. kind of endless energy. He can run all day, sort of stocky build. He's very intelligent. He's very selfless. Like Temperament about, as well. That yeah, It's all about the team. It's yeah, not a kind of... Proper model pros, both of them. silly on or off the pitch. Uh, and it's just an incredibly, like, seemingly... Ju- and I reckon that, like Milner, if they tried to stick him in a different position, he would figure it out quite quickly. 100%. I also think... Industrious. He, it, he, Industrious. he does work but I've said this before on, on this podcast. He is a lot quicker than people realise. And there was a moment at Molyneux earlier in the season in the Carabao Cup game. And he charged back and won the ball off Traore. 
Like it wasn't just the fact he was up against some slower players yesterday. Like he he's rapid and he's got this incredible engine. I mean, he's just such an exciting player to have. And seeing an academy guy come in and just improve before your eyes is amazing. And if we know anything about Conte, it's that if you were to draw up a list of things that Conte wants in a player, one, physical fitness, two, like selflessness and yeah. willing to subsume themselves to the team. Three, like ability to learn and implement complex orders and instructions on the pitch dutifully. He ticks every single Conte box possible. I He's been created that... in a Conte lab. Yeah, exactly. It's like perfect. I, I, can't... I imagine that Conte is thrilled that he's got such a kind of high-performance, low-maintenance player as Skip to, to, to put in the team. And can I just say, the commentator made a point that Leicester had three of their own uh, trainees on the pitch. The Spurs started with four. In a world where we're going nuts always about making sure you know you spend a lot of money in transfer windows, it's still worth remembering that you can produce your own players if you give them a chance and, and all the rest of it. So I thought that was a lovely part of it as well. Mm. We'll have to take a break from what is effectively the aural equivalent of an open-top bus parade down the Seven <laughs> Sisters Road. Um, this is the view from the lane. They're all here, James and Charlie and Jack. And we are still waving to the adoring crowds as we pass the Chick King outside the ground. <laughs> and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to The View from the Lane, a very cheery version of The View from the Lane this morning as we reflect further on Spurs' amazing not just by Spurs standards, but by football standards, late win at Leicester. Charlie Eccleshare, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore are the assortment of voices you're hearing. And the producer reminded us that the world is not always a, a garden filled with roses and butterflies. He says there are some negatives, but even they are interesting negatives, I think, and good problems for the managers to have. One of the things that struck me, because we're what are we now 10 days less away from the end of the transfer window is, has this affected the transfer planning because Bergwijn was supposed to be going to raise money to get Traore, as I understood it from reading The Athletic and other lesser outlets? Matt Doherty was supposed to be on his way for similar reasons. They both had games where, you, I mean, Bergwijn, if he was to go now, Charlie, that would look like a poor optics almost. Yeah, I was talking to people about this. And given that the issue already was that Ajax weren't going as high as what Spurs wanted... You feel now Spurs can go that little bit higher and it's going to be even harder for Ajax to get there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think with the... It's always one of the... I always find it interesting with this because, like, when Delhi had that good game against Liverpool and people were like, you can't sell Delhi now. No, But quite. the thing is, you do have to plan. I, I also think the flip side of that is if you have a long-term plan, you also shouldn't be derailed by, like, one good performance against Liverpool. In this instance, though, I think we were already... What we were hearing was that you know, Bergvine was going to be, a, wasn't so likely to go, certainly as it had looked a couple of weeks earlier. So now that one probably less so. Doherty, I think if Spurs are smart, they'd be thinking this might actually get us a buyer for him. Whereas up till now, no one's gone near him. And I don't imagine Conte, knowing what we do about him, is the kind of guy who'll be like, you know what? Yeah, everything's going to be all right. I'm sure he'll still be thinking, <laughs> we need to improve. It doesn't matter that we've won this game. We need to be better. We need to bring in more players and we need to work harder. So I don't think it will change too much. And what he's demanding, but ultimately, win or lose against Leicester, they weren't going to conjure up cash out of nowhere. So I don't think it changes things massively. We know they were working on deals anyway, and they're going to still be working on those deals. And hopefully, you know, someone might come in for Doherty, or they're more likely to now anyway. Maybe Doherty played so well that he's proven that Tottenham don't, in fact, need a diamond trade. <laughs> yeah, well, and amazingly, that... he's kind of part of, he's also part of the equation in the sense that yeah. Wolves, you know, if Wolves wanted Doherty back, it would be easier for Tottenham to get Traore. And so, yeah, by the same token, if Doherty plays really well, maybe Wolves will think, you know what, he's really good. Let's get him back. And in doing so, will allow Traore to go to Tottenham and will kind of undermine his own and will kind of effectively cost him his place. So it could go either way. But equally, you could argue that when Wolves were at their very, very best two years ago, before the injury to... Uh, Jimenez. The, the, the Jimenez. Had them the, both. The best thing... Well, that's what that's when both of those players were playing their absolute best, when they are playing inside and outside of each yeah. other. So wait a minute, who is the man... They should, Spurs should get the manager from that Wolves team as well, <laughs> just to really... Who is that again? Ah, yeah, okay. No, done that already. But, yeah. I was just wondering whether, whether there was any chance that Wolves might have watched the first half of that game and decided they'd quite like the look of Emerson Royale. Unfortunately, <laughs> it seems unlikely. Bless him. I mean, I, 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 Emerson Royale doesn't sulk. He, he tries to get on what he does. At the moment, it's very hard to nail down exactly what it is. He, well, I, he I is, think Emerson Royale has a future as a right-sided centre-back if he's going to play, if he's going to be at Spurs. I think he'd be far more suited to that in a way that like Azpilicueta yeah. became that. I think he could do that quite well because then him, his getting forward would almost be like a bonus, like the way it is with Ben Davis, who 
who couldn't Ben Davis couldn't play as a left wing back now, but coming from deeper positions where no one tracks him is is good. And I think Royale could do that well, and he's a good defender. So I I don't think it would necessarily be the end for him as and when they bring in an, an attacking right wing back. I mean, I rarely refer to the uh, handful of questions that the producer prepares for us for these, but anybody want to in the in the current joyous hat on the side of the head um, mood want to reflect on the fact that Spurs having played so well, were in fact 2-1 down in the 94th minute? Well, they conceded two bad goals, two really bad goals on the break. I thought that we all know it's not the first choice defence. I don't think they've been great, those three, since they've been playing together in the last four games. So yeah, there's obviously, they're a long way away in that sense. I think defending against the counter-attack, they're not pretty, they're not that good. It's a little bit of good fortune for Leicester as well on both of those goals. I mean, you know, it's not it's not the first time Reguilón's made that kind of mistake in the six-yard box. But... It's sort of, the ball has fallen quite fortunately for Dakar on the first goal. And the second one, Tanganga has basically put past Lewis, isn't he? He's basically got across the shot from Madison and tipped it onto the near post past Lurie. So you know, those are the margins that are kind of quite narrow. It's interesting you should say that because, of course, um, in the semi-final of the Carabao Cup, half Chelsea's goals were deflections in off Spurs' defence. And I can't work out quite whether it's because they're not quite in the right position or whether under Conte they're now making extra effort, Heuberg style, to block shots and you're inevitably going to get some deflections. At the moment, they're going past Lloris and another time, maybe they wouldn't. And I guess if you were being hypercritical, you'd say they were playing a mid-table team who were missing, what was it, 10 players or something. What I would say, though, on, on the defensive point, they have Dyron Romero coming back and that's absolutely massive. You know, imagine if, if that was their first choice defence you'd be saying, thank God we're yeah. in a transfer window because they can hopefully bring in one, maybe two. Well, they've got Dyron Romero coming back and we've seen so little of Romero. I mean, Jack and I were talking about this the other day. He's played twice under Conte and he got sent off in one of them. So that could make an enormous transformative difference to a defence that actually had, had only conceded four goals in Conte's eight league games prior to last night. And it's still, what, so that's six from nine. That's still very good. But yeah, having those two players back, I, I think does offset the worries because... The defence Spurs are currently playing is just a bit second, third choice. I'm glad you said that. It is worth noting that Leicester deserves some credit. They could probably have got that game called off if they'd pressed any button with the Premier League. But they decided they wanted to play the match. And uh, I mean, until 94 and a half minutes in, they would have been delighted with what some of their second string were doing. More South American World Cup qualifiers in what is a clearly... Uh, the most daunting tournament on the planet coming up. What do we know about uh, Spurs' absentees? Oh, it's different this time because the absences, while it will involve a lot of travel, won't involve being isolated when you get back, as I understand, the, uh, as I've gripped, got some grip now on the rules again to do with the, with, the, with the COVID. Is that right? Yeah, there's no there's no more red list. So, no. you, so they will not have to go to Dubrovnik for 10 days to train. Maybe or, they will, though. They just liked it so much that they'll, yeah, they'll go back Yeah, maybe they got there. a great deal on a hotel and they think it's the, it's the best place to recuperate. But uh, And as it happens, so Les Celso is in the Argentina squad for that, but Romero is not. So those are two World Cup qualifiers. So Argentina got Chile away next Thursday, the 27th, and then they've got Colombia at home up against Sanchez, of course, yeah. who's in the Colombia squad on Tuesday the 1st of February. Was he a late call up to that squad? Because I know he's been left out of the team for no, some time No, he now. wasn't. He And apparently the other centre-back uh, is injured, so he will almost certainly be playing uh, Sanchez. He's come. He's sort of come back into favour, having, um, yeah, there were big doubts about him and they're quite chuffed with how much better he looks under Conte. And, and Emerson Royale's with Brazil as well. 
Is that right? Worth noting that that Brazil squad has shown that uh, these players, in particular ones in Europe, who have been very proudly not getting vaccinated will now be revealed because that Brazil squad has had to be changed because they chose, I can't remember the name of the fella, to play at full back. And he had been vaccinated. And the, I think, Paraguayan authority says, then you're not coming into the country. So Alex Tellez of Manchester United has been called up instead. And what we saw with Novak Djokovic in Australia, even with the relaxation of the uh, the restrictions in England, the French authorities are not going to have Novak. Um, we've got the Winter Olympics coming up where, according to some of my colleagues on another piece of work I do, the restrictions on journalists, never mind the athletes, make it almost impossible to go unless you're vaccinated to the hilt and all the rest of it. Of course, I don't know which of you are very big on anti-vaccination and outside the House of Parliament screaming and shouting uh, every day. So who would uh, you guess? Would who would you guess is the yeah, most likely? Oh, James, James, yeah, James, James, definitely. Yeah, Fuck absolutely, James. Yeah, <laughs> what you're saying? You're telling me to f off. Everybody else is nodding sagely, and they know you. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, his yeah, standards man. are so high. He was just like Pfizer can fuck yeah. off. Not not for me, <laughs> mate. I'm triple Pfizer, mate. Triple <laughs> Pfizer. What about uh, look? No doubt, it's better for Spurs to play Chelsea in the Premier League having won at Leicester rather than having drawn or lost, as seemed possible. Is anybody in the mood for a brief preview of the Chelsea game? Or should we pretend it's not happening and just continue to bask in the joy that the game against Leicester brought us? Oh, Thomas Tuchel was incredibly negative after their midweek game, wasn't he? He was, saying, he was talking about how tired they were again, which I always think is kind of iffy for a manager because you're kind of planting the seed of that excuse in the head of your players. And like Leicester, they've got... Players missing, not as many, probably only like kind of four or five now. They've got some pretty okay. good backup players. Though, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've, slipped, we've seen that twice in the last yes, three we weeks. Have, yeah. Poor them having to play like an eighty million pound reserve or whatever it is. I mean, the thing that that's good about it is is beating Leicester makes this even more of a free hit. Spurs have margin for error now in going for the top four. They can go ahead of Chelsea by I think a few points if they win all four games in hand or whatever it is, which obviously is is a big if. But, you know, like I said last week, they can lose, losing to Chelsea, losing to City, losing to Liverpool won't define their season because most of their rivals will. So they can go and obviously it'd be, it would be really frustrating to lose, but it's not a must-win game for them. It's not a must-draw game for them. They ha- By beating teams like Leicester, they have a bit of margin for error in these much, much harder games. The way we're all set up um, data-wise these days, unbeaten runs... Of course, now Conte's unbeaten in his first nine, ten. Is it how many games has he been in charge? Nine of the league games, league? yeah. Nine. If you're gonna, if if that's going to end, then let it end somewhere where it's absolutely predictable. Otherwise, it tends to have a a, a more focused, I think, a negative on the team than would normally uh, be the case. Listen, this has been a, a joy, and uh, after a couple of semi-finals in the Carabao Cup that led to people saying that we were actually being miserable to get clicks. Quite how that works, unless you're Morrissey, I don't know. But uh, we try and reflect the feelings we have as people. Some of us Spurs fans, some of us are not. Um, we just try and reflect the way you feel about these things as people. And I was delighted that James pulled us up about Harry Kane. That's what he genuinely believes. Um, uh, and, and it- my Twitter timeline is going to be all Harry Kane truthers and anti-vaxxers trying to be my friends now. <laughs> these are not people I want to hear from. I do not want to hear from you. Okay, okay. Me. Uh, let, me, uh, let me let me then say that, uh, uh, dear anti-vaxxers, um, I, I picked James out there just to get a rise out of him. Um, as far as I know, he is one of the most compliant 
of people. Now you're going to get other kinds of people getting on your case. Yeah. You can't win yeah, in this well, world, can that, you? They can. Fuck, fuck those guys. Last word, anybody, on the last 24 hours? I mean, you watch a lot of football, Jack. and uh, Well, we all do, but uh, I, I, it must have fun to be there. Yeah, I think it was the best. It was the best game I've been to since Ajax, as well as having similarities to it. I think I can't actually think of a better Tottenham moment since Ajax. Certainly, sacking Mourinho, the, some would say sacking yeah. Mourinho, sacking Nuno, uh, six one at Old Trafford. The Lucas de Bergwijn sub, which effectively yeah. ended the Nuno era. Yeah, I guess winning at six one. By the way, by the way, sorry, hang on, just a, just a tip in there. Nuno's a genius. Bergwijn's amazing. Yeah, yeah was Bergwijn a good, is, is good. a good yeah. substitution. Yeah. What, what were we thinking? Bergwijn is good. James, I mean, I don't know if you agree, but that does feel to me like the best Tottenham result and kind of high since Ajax. I don't know. That's 6-1 at Old Trafford, I think. I, I mean, yeah. I, that, I, but that's without true, fans, but it kind of feels a bit like... I do, th- I do kind of feel like everything that happened during... All the football that happened during COVID has a bit of an asterisk on it simply because of no fans. Yeah, I know. It just doesn't mean. feel it doesn't like, feel like, like it's hindsight doesn't feel like football. And I also think that it's not going to be remembered in the same way. None of them. Yeah, I, like, I think that's no, really yeah, true. Yeah, now, no, when yeah. you look back and you watch them, you're like, oh my God, this is mad. One one that I would say, because it did have a few fans, was the 2-0 win over Arsenal in December 2020. That had like 10,000 fans and, and at least felt like a moment when Son scored that incredible early goal and Spurs were top of the league. Well, it was 2,000 fans, wasn't it? No, oh, was it only two? Yeah. Uh, maybe, but at least there was some... I didn't, I didn't get a ticket either, so it was rubbish. Yeah, that. I mean, obviously that was a big debit against it, but... Um... Yeah, it may, maybe it's unfair saying that none of this COVID-era football counts, but I kind of feel like it doesn't. So, for example, City, who obviously do have an attachment to, City won the league in, tw- in, in the COVID season, and they reached the Champions League final, and yet my memories of watching those games, I watched tons of them on TV, my memories of those games are really fa- like thin, you know, it's not memorable. It's not memorable stuff. Well, no, not. But I mean, partially because not only was there nobody in the ground, and of course that whole thing was was horrible. But we have to remember our mentalities had also been changed by being locked into our houses, not yeah. allowed to go to the pub on the street. We we were watching the game through different eyes as well as them playing it in front of no eyes at all. And if one thing, historians of the future will look back on that six-one at Old Trafford, James, and say. Did that really happen? There were no, there's nobody in the ground, as far as I can see. And Tange and Domblay made a late run into the six-yard box to open the scoring. <laughs> I'm suggesting they will say there's something weird about that game. And I would not be surprised if in years to come, UEFA were to investigate it. Listen, chaps, it's been an absolute joy and an education uh, to be with you all again. And uh, as for you, the listeners, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of our articles on Spurs and everything else on the on, on the site by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can get 33% off a full subscription. We'll be back on Monday after another resounding victory over Chelsea. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Charlie and James and Jack. You've been here at The View from the Lane. The Athletic. Of course, I don't know which of you are very big on anti-vaccination and outside the Houses of Parliament screaming and shouting uh, every day. So, who would you guess? Would who would you guess is the yeah, most likely? Oh, James, 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 yeah, James, definitely, yeah, yeah. absolutely, James. Yeah, Look, <laughs> what you're saying? You're telling me to f off. Everybody else is nodding sagely, and they know you. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. 